Pink Smoke Podcast, a monthly show that focuses on new films as they are released to the movie-going public, hosted by myself, John Cribbs, and the Sergeant Pal to my John McClain, Mr. Chris Funderburg. Hi, everybody. Now, normally this is a Patreon-exclusive podcast, but we're making an exception for this episode. Uh, there'll be a separate March episode available only to our wonderful Patreon subscribers, but this one's going out to everyone for two reasons. We started our Patreon because we believe writers should be paid for their work and your support goes towards fairly compensating those who contribute amazing articles to our site. So we want to give everyone a taste of the show. If you like what you hear, please go to our Patreon and subscribe at any level. You'll get a new episode every month and an exciting guest like the gentleman we have joining us tonight. Which brings us to our second reason for making this episode available to everyone. We have a very special guest who we've both been a huge fan of for a long time. This is his first podcast appearance. It's a huge deal. So it's our great pleasure to welcome the outlaw film critic himself, Vern. How are you doing, sir? Good. Thank you. It's good to be here. Wonderful to have you. Um, Vern's been writing online reviews for over 20 years, for almost 20 years, all of which uh, can be found on his website, outlawvern.com. He's a self-described positivist, creator of many cinematic frameworks, such as Badass Juxtaposition, a champion of better-than-average DTV action movies, and an avid horror movie aficionado. He's the author of Seagology, a study of the ass-kicking films of Steven Seagal. Yippee-ki-yay, moviegoer, writings on Bruce Willis, badass cinema, and other important topics, the crime novel Nike Town, and the upcoming horror novel Worm on a Hook, which we're extremely excited about. Yeah, that's All right. right. And Vern, I'm just going to quote your tweet. You have five Bronson death wishes, both books, all of Eli Roth's movies, the career of Bruce Willis, violence and entertainment, and real life vigilantism and racism under your belt. You say you're possibly overqualified to talk yeah. about Eli Roth's new version of Death Wish. What were your I thoughts? I have an interest, interest in those things. I hope I don't have a lot of racism under my belt. But <laughs> <laughs> th- those topics are, you know. I'm yeah, sorry, I, I cut you off. With it. No, not, no, not, no, 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 That's we should say, too, that the film we're discussing today is going to be the Death Wish remake by Eli Roth. Um, I, our, I think John and I, both the initial question we have for you is, um, what were your thoughts going into this movie? Was this a movie you were excited for? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I didn't have high expectations necessarily, but I... I feel I was very open-minded for the reasons that I, I cut you off there, buddy, but, but it's true. I've, I'm a fan of, I actually enjoy all five of the Charles Bronson death wish movies in different ways. And I've, and I've read the book by Brian Garfield and also the sequel death sentence. And I'm a really big fan of the movie that's supposedly based on that book. And, uh, and I also, you know, I have, I have varying feelings about different Eli Roth movies, but, but I think they're interesting, and and I'm a you know as you know from listing my books there, I'm a very big fan of Bruce Willis. Um, but at the same time, I go in feeling like you know is is this a you know this is a topic that already was very touchy in 1974, and now here we are. It almost seems like the exact wrong moment for a movie about this to come out, you know. And so, and I'm not sure that Eli Roth has the kind of you know, even going in, I wasn't sure that he was the the right person to do a come up with a thoughtful approach to it. So, <laughs> I, I I don't know. Well, yeah. given the current political climate, especially a lot of uh, how vocal you've been about politics on social media, were you hoping for a political take on it going in? Were you hoping that they would lean on that? Um, I would say because it's Eli Roth, I I wasn't really because I <laughs> I feel like 
his idea of politics is more about just kind of uh, pushing buttons. And I don't, I, I don't think he's a conservative person, but he seems to be very interested in trying to upset liberals and then kind of be the victim of political correctness in his mind. And that's, you know, I didn't want a movie that was like that. Uh, but at the same time, I, if he were to come up with a very thoughtful, uh, you know, uh, analysis of, of this story, then that would be, that would be really exciting to me. I do remember how you kind of went after him in the, your uh, Green Inferno review for his trying to take a privileged uh, social justice warriors to task with his cannibal movie. Um, yeah. But I, I do want to say that I think that one of the reasons I was interested in having you talk about this film and on here is that you have a more, Eli Roth has become sort of a, 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 a punching bag filmmaker that sort of his name just people hear it it's it's almost like a uh, you know a max landis type where just the name causes a bunch of people to go uh right yeah and in a lot of his work though and i think john and i are in the same position where it's not that he doesn't get a fair shake it's that there's his films are frequently more interesting than they're portrayed as being you know that, yeah. you know, that, he, knows that he that he's you can accuse him of, and I think that his public persona doesn't help anything, but that his work, I think, is a little, again, it's hard to describe. You don't want to say Eli Roth's movies are smarter than they get credit for, because I don't think that's exactly what it is. But I do think his movies are yeah. more thoughtful than they get credit for. So, And I, I think I, I, someone pointed that, this out to me. I think that uh, he's kind of a showman also in that he a lot of the stuff that he says when he's promoting his movies is not necessarily in the movies so that when the, all the stuff he said about Green Inferno that kind of made it seem idiotic wasn't so much in the movie. It was more just the way he talked about it when he was promoting it. Um, and I didn't think it was the movie itself was kind of more fun and less stupid than he made it sound when he was, when he was, you know, talking about it in interviews. Almost yeah. like he made a good movie by accident. Or that he came up with that interpretation after the film, I think was something that you said, right? It almost seemed that way to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like he's somebody who will say things without necessarily thinking about it. You know, my first experience of him, I didn't see Cabin Fever. And John and I were at the Toronto Film Festival at the Press and Industry screening at like 10 a.m. in the morning to see Hostel, not knowing anything about it. And he got up in front of the P&I screening, which you're not supposed to do. And this is still literally the only filmmaker I've ever seen do this because it's like reviewers and publicists and people and exhibitors and he got up and started doing like a patter about his movie that was really inappropriate for that screening. That was like, you don't get up here and pitch your movie directly to critics. Like this is gauche and poor taste and kind of a dumb thing to do. And you could feel in the audience, all of those sort of people who are influential having like a fuck this guy reaction. And then I saw the movie and I thought the movie was more interesting than this guy who had made me very predisposed to disliking it, you know, right before it started. And I, 
Yeah, I, th- I was going to say, I think the uh, the sequel actually to me is a lot more interesting than the first one too. That's probably my favorite movie by him. Oh, same here. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's uh, and it doesn't really get credit for that normally, but it's like, you know, it, it, the first one, I, I, I suppose I take his word for it that it was intentional that that it's about these ugly American tourists and that, that they're these, you know, what they now call bros. And uh, they're very, not very likable for the most part. And you don't really start rooting for them until they're escaping from a torture dungeon. Uh, but the second one really has much more sympathetic characters and it's from the, I like how it alternates between the, the, the victims and then the sort of rich people who, who are the paying money in order to torment them, the clients. Yeah. yeah Roger Bart is very good in that. Oh yeah. He's great. Yeah. I think that it, that it has a sort of, again, I feel like his movies are, have a fascinating personality that's worth something, even if it doesn't necessarily add up to something I can fully get behind. And I sort of, I was interested in seeing him do Death Wish to segue into that, because I feel that way about the original Death Wish, which I feel like is a kind of, it's very different than the sequels. The sequels are sort of cartoon versions of what the original Death Wish film is and the Death Wish novel even more so. where Michael Winner and Charles Brunson's movie doesn't necessarily add up to something completely coherent, but it's still something really special. And so sort of from the outside, I sort of felt like maybe Eli Roth, that sort of sounds up like Eli Roth's alley. Let me ask you about the, the Death Wish film. Now that you've seen it, I guess in sort of an overview, what's, what, you just got out of it. What, what do you think about it? Uh, on a basic level, uh, I have mixed feelings. I I I think it's okay. I don't find it really offensive, and I think there are aspects of it that are really well done. Uh, but I don't think that it adds enough new or or thoughtful uh, enough to really justify doing a remake especially and like i sort of mentioned it before like the the movie death sentence i think is kind of a, a better version of what he seems to be going for with this movie and you know that's not a very old movie it's not i don't i don't feel like i don't feel like this one was good enough to justify it fine yep. you know fi- finally finally being called death wish i'm sorry what were you no yeah i was just going to say i agree i i felt like it almost became gen- too generic where it didn't feel like a death wish movie i like to i know you've read the original book by brian garfield um the book is 100 percent inside of uh, paul kersey called in the book paul benjamin's head where it's really just him dealing with uh his weakness his remorse his uh sense of complete powerlessness after this attack has been has happened on his family um and his, his, his vigilantism, like when he finally goes out and the first thing he does, you know, is uh, attack a mugger like a young kid with a sock full of quarters. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that he's just, he doesn't even know what he's striking out against, but it's not revenge. It's not a specific thing. Like, I'm going to go get those guys who killed my, my, or my wife and uh, attacked my daughter. It's just it's something that he just feels like he has to strike back against society. I love that Garfield says that he came up with the idea for the book uh, when he came out to his car one day 
and the, the, the roof had been like slashed by some random person. He just felt this impotent rage. He just wanted to like do, he wanted someone to take it out on, you know, something. And it wasn't even a sense of getting any kind of revenge or having his, you know, roof back. It was just, you feel that kind of thing. And that's specifically a city thing too. I think at least at the time, you know, it was like that urban environment where you feel kind of small and powerless. So the There's first like thing that Eli Roth does in this. Indiscriminate feeling. Yeah. It's and like the, crime is everywhere. Crime is anywhere. Sorry, go on. I was going to say the first thing Eli Roth does in this movie, even though it opens in Chicago, he immediately takes us out of Chicago and uh, it reveals that it's actually going to take place in like an affluent uh, area outside of Chicago, uh, Lakeshore East. So it's not even going to be about the city. What do you think of that decision to, to not have it be an urban revenge drama? Well, wasn't, don't you think most of the, most of the sort of crime fighting stuff was kind of a more urban area wasn't it once he goes into it yeah but the actual yeah. assault i guess taking place and it becomes more like you know more even than the original movie like a well-off you know uh upper class family yeah finding well, that their own comfortable home is being assaulted from the outside yeah i i, I think that worked for it because uh eli roth um he did a good you know he has the experience as a horror director and so that whole sequence i thought he really kind of used his chops for the suspense of you know like the the daughter looking at her phone and walking up the stairs and we're seeing the dark windows behind her and knowing that she's oblivious to the danger that's outside and it's a whole very suspenseful you know it kind of reminded me of the opening of scream with like the big house and yeah um and i think that it's also one thing that that you could say worked better than the original that it's always been kind of a um a joke that bronson is said to be this they i think they literally call him a bleeding heart liberal uh and you never at least i never really believe in charles bronson the liberal architect at the beginning you know before he becomes just charles bronson and so i so i think bruce willis was a little more believable and being like this sensitive sweater wearing guy that goes to the stock his daughter's soccer game soccer dad guy and you know yeah and has that sequence at the beginning where he's a doctor and the police officer says no now you're going to go patch up the guy the animal that did this i think that it does to me the best parts of this movie are like the opening 20 minutes family crap it actually has a really yeah. nice vibe to their family in a way that made me go like, oh, I don't want to see something horrible happen to Elizabeth's shoe. Like, I don't actually want to see that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. But it made it, 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 made it in some ways more effective than, um, not even just comparing to death, to death Wish, but just in general, this type of revenge movie where you don't really get to know the family very well, usually, and they're kind of more one-dimensional than they, than they were here. Like, the daughter was very, like, likable you know believable daughter i thought yeah she gives a very striking uh, performance it's a, it's a memorable yeah. all very memorable but the part of my reaction to this movie and i was wondering what you think of this this is like a regular revenge movie where there's a guy who doesn't want to be bad and something happens and he's got to go get revenge and then he goes to the guys and gets them and gets the guys who did it that's not Death Wish, though. Yeah. The original Death Wish is Jeff Goldblum and the two other guys come up and 
rape Paul Kersey's daughter and murder his wife. And that's the end of it. You never see them again in the movie. Is it, yeah. does, do you lose something essential by just making this like any revenge film, by making it like, you know, Blue Ruin or whatever, to just give it that, there's a guy who is wrong, now he's going to go get the guys who did it, you know? Yeah, I, I agree that it makes it something different. It makes it about something different. Um, but it also seemed to me like it was kind of a way to split the difference between Death Wish and then all of the Death Wish sequels. Yeah. Or not all of them, but but at least in two. Certainly like, two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. in Death Wish 2, he's specifically getting revenge on the people that attacked his family. And in the f- original story, he's just, as you said, just going around taking taking it out on whatever criminals he can find and so they did kind of both here where he at first is interfering with he interferes with a few different crimes and then he figures out how to track down the the people that attacked his family so they kind of did both in one movie i think but is there any point to a death wish movie that doesn't push buttons and doesn't like try and tap into more flea floating anxiety like is there a point to a pretty tasteful death wish movie (laughs) like is there actually a point to that (laughs) yeah it it is it is odd like we i think probably a lot of people like me are like going in a little nervous about like what is eli roth going to be doing in this you know what is he going to say in this that's going to be upsetting and then you kind of end up thinking oh he he didn't really (laughs) he kind of like even it starts to feel like it's going to be the sort of gun fetishizing thing, but then he sort of pokes fun at, at lax gun laws, and and uh, there's that the the montage where he's learning how to assemble and clean a gun, and it's split screened with him taking bullets out of out of people in surgery and dropping them into the uh, you must have gotten satisfaction from the clinking. The, the metal- <laughs> Well, I thought that the uh, the addition of Bethany and the Jolly Rogers gun shop was the most Eli Roth thing about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not only was it to have that kind of gauche kind of approach to it, but it, at the same time, it was like, I don't know what he's making fun of. You know, I yeah. don't know if that's if he's making is. yeah right what the joke is exactly because it seems like gun you know getting a gun is lax, but it's also controlled i don't know i don't know what to think about it well that's what's weird is i feel like eli roth is a filmmaker who's smart enough to know like you know uh, the tactical chekhov's tactical end table you know what i mean like if you show a tactical end table in the first act it's got to go off in the third like i feel like he's smart enough to know that but at the same time like i don't I it's, don't understand. It seems like just a one-off joke, but then it literally becomes the thing that saves Paul's life at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. where yeah. it's like, what is the? Is it a satire? You know, like the the satire is very diffuse. What the target of it is to a point where I go, is it even satire? Or is it just like a joke? The Jolly Roger thing is exactly right. Where like, is that character? Is this a joke about how a lot of you know, gun manufacturers and gun sites and gun sellers use like sexy ladies in bikinis to sell guns. Is it a critique of that? Or is it just like a playful acknowledgement of it? <laughs> you know, is it like, what is the idea? Yeah. I, well, I feel like maybe he, 
has a he had a sense that he that that he it could have been just a really simplistic sort of glorifying the idea that you can use a gun that having big guns is, makes you safe and he, he was conscious enough to not want to make that movie and so he put in some things that were like poking fun at the gun culture but then at the same time he kind of does make the movie where if you know where you and you can't walk 10 feet without being attacked by some ram, random criminal and if you do have a gun then you're much safer in the world of this movie and so he's just kind of like having it both ways by doing both at the same time yeah and then yeah. even again both ways where there's the 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 paul kersey the grim reaper um i lost the word uh, inspired person the doppelganger who goes out in the hoodie and gets killed trying to break up a yeah you know that's, that's yeah, so abbreviated though <laughs> you know it's yeah. like just copycat god damn that's the word i was looking for the grim reaper copycat who gets killed in the alley yeah it seemed like he was he was conscious enough to put in little things like that to so that it wasn't completely black and white but he but not enough to do something really involved and thoughtful on the topic you know it feels like to me the movie feels like they want to stay everyone involved wants to stay away from the problems, you know, like it, that it's actually, this movie's sort of too conscious of not, like the original Death Wish, it sort of shares a very pointed like, no, 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 it's not about race. You know, the original carjacking, he's saving a black couple, you know, where the original Death yeah. Wish has like the rainbow game, like Jeff Goldblum and a skinhead and like an unidentifiably ethnic swarthy guy you know and and they put a swastika on the wall they're the racists you know in the original yeah. death wish <laughs> this movie has a similar like like it really wants to stay away from any problem areas which again like is why why even make the movie then you know if you want to give a nod to to say like we acknowledge problems with gun culture but you know, the table also saves them at the end. We acknowledge the problems with the police indifference to inner city crime where Dean Norris is like, yeah, those are all gangbangers. They don't matter. We're really going to try and find uh, your wife's killer, you know? Yeah. But, but still have that guy be a good guy, you know? And have the, the yeah. black cop partner to have Kimberly Elise as his partner. It, it, again, like... Do you think that there's a good version of this movie that plays it as down the, down the middle? Or do you think that, just what do you think of this film's milk toastness? I can't digest it, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, I certainly, it, it makes me uncomfortable that it's, that it's Chicago, which is currently like a, a, a punching bag for Trump to use as this, as this, uh, nightmarish dystopia of his fantasies that he uses as an excuse to, um, you know, to to militarize police and try to, you know. Yeah, it's it's the state uh, comeback, the second minute, you know, gun control, and then you know the right wing response as well, Chicago, you know, like it's what they call it yeah. at this point. And I feel like the original Death Wish and all the many movies that ripped it off, and maybe maybe some movies before that, I'm not sure, but they they really promoted this idea of like New York, especially as being 
you know, you walk down the street and a bunch, a bunch of guys in sleeveless vests are going to come out of an alley and attack you, you know. And, and I feel like that, you know, at least in some sense, believe in that. And they, and and it's been used to, you know, since at least the 80s. And um, so because of that, you know, I, I was, on, you know, going in, you know, worried that it was going to be this kind of, you know, fueling that kind of, that kind of worldview. So I, you know, so I don't want to say, like, I wish he would have gone all the way with that because I do appreciate that he was trying to not do that. What, uh, what worked about the movie for you, Vern? What'd you think of Bruce, Bruce's performance? I thought he was good. And, you know, that, that's exciting to me because he's been, it's been a while that he's mostly been in straight to video movies that I honestly haven't kept up with. But the ones I've seen, it seems like he's not as invested in them as you want to be, or even like some of the, you know, like the GI Joe sequel that he was in. And, you know, there've been a lot where you kind of feel like he's phoning it in. So. Yeah. I realized I, the last movie with him I saw, I think was the Sin City sequel, which was like three years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's, he wasn't in that one that much, was he? No, I think he just like was a ghost or something. Yeah. Barely. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hate that movie. Though. I thought I would. <laughs> it's moments. <laughs> um, <laughs> One of the things that I was kind of hoping going into this movie with Roth being behind the camera was that I always thought of the original film, one of its kind of underrated elements was that it's a lot like a horror movie in a lot of ways. That last image with Bronson is one of the scariest final shots of all time. You know, it's really chilling because you've been with this guy through the movie. You've kind of been sub, you know, subconsciously cheering him on. Suddenly it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, the gun in Magnum Force turning to point at you, you know, suddenly you're kind of realizing, am I with this guy? I don't know. So I was kind of hoping that Roth would bring that kind of element to it, like a kind of dread or an uncomfortableness, at least. Well, you're not sure. It's about to. the sickness of fear, it, you know, right. about being sick with a free floating fear of existence. And I feel like there's none of that in this movie. Yeah. And he, he even reuses that shot and it doesn't have the same meaning at all at where he, the, the finger gun thing. Yeah. At the well, end. in the original, the police are like, get the fuck out of town, you know, go to Chicago. Otherwise we're going to arrest you. Go get your life together. And it's a little bit of a cop out that they let him get away. In this movie, the cop is like, Hey, you're buddy. We're buddies. Good work. Go back to your life. <laughs> the sense that, that Bruce Willis has been changed by any of this. You know, and, yeah, and I've I've always been very interested in that aspect of it because of the fact that Brian Garfield didn't like the movie and he wrote the book Death Sentence specifically as a rebuttal to it because he felt that it glorified vigilantism. But I I've always felt that the movie comes down not on on Kersey's side at the end with when he starts he seems to have lost it and he's spouting lines from a western stunt show that he watched and so he's kind of like yeah and he's stunning he's doing the outlaws lines he's not even doing the sheriff's lines he's doing yeah. like the criminal outlaws lines and so that was one reason why it's it's kind of disappointing when in some ways this is more nuanced than the original but then by the end it's like you say it's just letting him get away with it and 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 it doesn't have that same aspect to it 
Yeah, and if it was conscious decision to evoke maybe death sentence and kind of in his actually going after the specific people who attacked his family, that last scene you think, oh, well, we're going to see the repercussion. His daughter will end up getting killed or his brother, you know, something really bad's going to happen. It'd be like, this is the, you know, this is what happens. This is the repercussion from your taking the law into your own hands. But nah. <laughs> let me let me ask you this Vern. not that you'd know anything about it but how well would this movie serve as a felicity prequel would it set up well for that <laughs> in, in what sense in that she goes to nyu the daughter oh, I see. yeah um, okay it depends not that you would know anything about felicity. yeah i'm not i'm not sure what that is <laughs> um she'd I have to change look- her hair first obviously Uh, I did want to ask you how, what do you think now that he's seen the finished movie, what do you think fucking Sway thinks about this movie? (laughs) I I don't know. I was going to bring up, I I, I appreciated his, what what he did in the movie because I, first of all, like, you know, I'm working on my review and I was writing about this, that, um, Pretty, it feels like every vigilante movie pretty much ever made has the thing where the local radio host talks about the vigilante and people call in and say whether they support it or not. Yeah. And like some, they talk about that he's a hero and then other people talk about the slippery slope. And the, the way, other than the man on the street interview that they had in this one, I felt like the radio part of it actually felt more authentic than it normally does in the cliche yeah. version of this. And... I liked that Sway seemed like he was saying what he really would say, where he's kind of like, seems kind of dismayed that his co-hosts are supporting it. And and he's the only person that brings up race at all. Yeah. When he says, he's, you know, he questions why they would support a white guy going around shooting black people, which for the most part he's not doing, but at that point he is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I also feel like he in that movie has a weird meta commentary where he's sort of like, Ugh, can, can you believe they're making a fucking death wish? You know what I mean? <laughs> like he almost has this like, I, I can't believe, you know, like he just has a weird tone to him. Like I can't, this is just the wrong time for this conversation. <laughs> you know, sort of tone to his entire bearing and i don't know who the yeah. other guy is who gets a lot of screen time man cow uh yeah i've heard of him but i'm not familiar with him he seems deeply unpleasant is he like an alex jones type? <laughs> no i think he's more like more you know morning dr- morning uh listen to while you're driving to work you know that type of guy yeah local radio guy is his name in intentionally supposed to evoke uh bovine stupidity in human <laughs> i'm not sure but even he seemed uh kind of uncomfortable un- with the with what the grim reaper was doing yeah which and surprised I mean, me it's yeah and it's a strange sort of thing in these movies like you say it is the cliche the man on the street and in general they're like ah, i support this but if you go back and in reality anytime you have examples of extreme vigilantism uh, it's very divides the public and that yeah. it's rare for this to be embraced in any way because in reality, these circumstances are never clean cut. It's never a guy who's going to go kill the person who murdered his wife. You know, it's much yeah. more like it is 
in the in the book where and the movie where it's just sort of a free floating like you know Bernard Getz kills some people who you know bother him on the train you know he's yeah. not killing the people who attacked his family you know and I think that that's one thing that the movie especially this one doesn't seem to have any kind of handle on is how <laughs> how this story is sort of situated in reality uh, is that it's weird to see Sway and Mancow react to the very fake Death Wish movie story the way <laughs> real people would react to it in reality. You know, that story would never exist in reality. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> what do you what do you think about uh, there's a part where uh, where Kersey is talking, I think he's talking to the therapist or someone about uh, how he's not thinking about his family. He's thinking about these guys who did it. And it's it shows these guys on the street that he's kind of given the stink eye and they're like a, a black man and a, and a Latino man that seem to be like gangsters or something. And... Uh, but but later on we see that the people that actually did kill his family are are mostly white guys, and I wonder was that an, an intentional thing that he that is kind of showing that he has this this racist notion in his head of who it would have been that attacked his family that turns out to be wrong, or is that just kind of an accident? Uh, that's really interesting. I, I I don't know if that if once he realizes that the the start of the assault uh, happened at the valet with the minority guy who parked his car that kind of like Im immediately put me in the wrong place. Like, Oh, like yeah, rich people too. paranoid about their minority valets, you know, exactly. And yeah. Know their address and come attack them in their house. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Bruce might have that kind of uh, upper class paranoia about those people. But again, with Roth, it's just, it's so hard to tell if yeah. they're really going for that or if that's just kind of, what you want him to be going for <laughs> yeah that's why i asked it that's why i asked because it occurred to me but then i wasn't i hadn't really convinced myself that it wasn't intentional but how much of you of this stuff do you think are eli roth's ideas i mean we haven't even mentioned joe carnahan who's credited with the screenplay although the word is that it was heavily rewritten he was originally supposed to direct the film and left it i i feel like when i watch this movie there's very little of Eli Roth's personality in it. And that it, this movie sort of feels like manufactured by, uh, by like a studio and some people. It doesn't feel like anybody's taking charge of this movie. It doesn't feel like there's any auteur behind it as a studio head to Bruce to anybody. Except in the torture scene, of course. <laughs> um, which and I felt... Yeah, and, the, and there's some, some pretty good uh, gore parts. Yeah, yeah. The torture specifically, I thought to myself, um, it made me think of Redbeard, the Kurosawa movie that I watched recently where uh, Toshiro Mifune plays a doctor who um, beats the crap out of a group of assholes using his knowledge of anatomy and then yeah. is like, bring them into the clinic and heals them. You know, like to me, that's true badassness. <laughs> you know, you're not looking for violence, but you're skilled enough to dish it out if you have to. And then you can turn around and use those skills for good. So that's what I wanted to see more than like him just like using his surgical knowledge to like fuck up a guy, you know, really badly. 
Um, but that definitely felt like an Eli Roth scene for sure. And there were definitely some ways that heads methods of head smashing that would not have been in another director's version. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, you know, my favorite part of the movie was when D'Onofrio walks into the basement and sees how Paul's been living. Like he's walking into (laughs) a serial killer's secret lair or the slaughterhouse of one of the elite hunting club, you know, like his reaction is great. That's a little bit Eli Roth. That was my favorite thing about the movie. I think that one part. And we haven't really mentioned that that D'Onofrio is is very good in it, as he usually is, but... Yeah. I think there's something weird about changing that character to be his, like, shaggy brother. The closest analog in the original Death Wish is his son-in-law, played by Stephen Keats, who calls him Dad all the time. (laughs) And to change that character, I mean, the original Death Wish is, like, that character is so unappealing that you don't want to be some guy who's like, I got to help her with her therapy and stuff, dad. And you got to deal with the grieving process that he's so unlikable that it makes Paul Kersey's like, try and take charge more understandable is that you don't want to be spineless like that by changing it to Vincent D'Onofrio, who's like a shaggy loser. Like it's a, a weird prospect. Yeah, yeah. Who like is always borrowing money and obviously like, you know, is somewhat jealous or envious of his brother's success. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what was, what's the point of changing the character that he should have been like a full-blown, you know, liberal who is shocked and like devastated when he finds out what's going on. I don't know. It felt like it needed, needed a little something extra. I did like D'Onofrio in the movie though. It was good seeing him in the film. It's a good, yeah. good character actor. But, yeah, uh, I just feel like it doesn't add up. Uh, like so much of this movie, it doesn't seem to add up to anything. You know, like why make that change? Like what's what's the idea with that? Um, it reminds me of a Vern quote actually from your Walking Tall remake review when you said, it's like letting a dog mow your lawn. If you train it right, it might be able to push the mower around, but it's going to do a really bad job by human standards. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, so do you, if you had to pick things from this movie that stand out to you, what are, what are the standout elements? It's a movie I have trouble remembering much about as far as like, that's distinctive. And you saw it yesterday? And I saw it (laughs) yesterday. I mean, it's, well, it's super generic. That's sort of what I mean when I say like, is there a point to like, a middle-of-the-road tasteful Death Wish movie. I, I don't think there is. Yeah, and we've seen so many versions of Death Wish, not just the five Death Wish movies, but, you know, the Brave One and the, the various Executioner movies. And, yeah, and Vigilante, the uh, William Lustig Yeah, movie. oh, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that one more than I like any of the Death Wish sequels that I, I think are... In a funny way, I think the Death Wish sequels are more indebted to that movie than they are to the original Death Wish. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I, I I do appreciate the the sort of imaginative death sequences <laughs> that that I feel are probably the main Roth contribution, the bowling ball falling and the, you know, the guy falling down the stairs and his head getting smushed and you know oh, like yeah. I, I i agree that it's, that's a pretty superficial thing to call the voice of of the director in this movie if it's just that sort of thing but 
It, what do you think about his decision to put him in the hoodie? He kind of made me think like he was supposed to evoke his character from Unbreakable. Oh, I didn't. I was more worried that it was like reverse Trayvon Martin, Martin who was, of course, the oh, victim, the yeah. victim of a vigilante. I don't think it was intended to reference yeah. that, but I, I couldn't help thinking about it. Yeah, no, of course. But again, it's like, what does it even add up to? Like, what does reverse Trayvon Martin even mean? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, what does that statement even mean? That's where I sort of feel like, is there an interesting version of this movie that a better filmmaker who's more equipped does do a reverse Trayvon Martin that does like the vigilante movie of the young black man in Chicago? You know, like that's literally what a reverse Trayvon Martin would think. But that's like dynamite. That's not going to be tasteful. That's something that Sway will have a much stronger opinion on. You know, <laughs> I, I was thinking about that. It was like, of course, I, I, I'm i happy to see a Bruce Willis movie, but but it really does seem like the way to update Death Wish is to ch- have it not be a white guy. In, unless you're embracing the original Death Wish, which is that it's a movie about white paranoia, that it's about mm-hmm. that specific white fear of the new crime in the 70s, the idea that crime isn't just getting worse, it's different now, that you have hippie serial killer sex cults and gay <laughs> violence and international white slavery rings, and that it's different than it was in the 50s, you know? And... Death Wish is tapping into that paranoia and yeah. that paranoia still exists. And I don't think, I don't think any, well, is that true? It's but in a say, different I way. I mean, yeah. I think that's the thing is like they needed an update to this story that was going to be at least somewhat relevant to the last 40 years, you know, besides someone taking, you know, a video of him on their cell phone and posting it on social media. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think maybe that maybe Eli got a little tripped up on how to present it. I don't know if it was because he was, you know, kind of uh, adopted the movie from Joe Carnahan after he wasn't going to direct it. Um, if he just, it was just his, a big budget movie that he didn't have that much control over. Uh, the part where he goes into Dean Norris's office and the, he's looking at the big board of um, unsolved crimes of the cold cases, you see like in the corner of the board is written, we, we need a bigger board. And I felt like that was like Eli Reith sneaking into the movie with like a little Jaws (laughs) reference, you know, like I'm going to get a little reference in here too. So I, yeah. Uh, Action sequence wise though, Vern, you you liked it pretty much. I I know he had told um, Mick Garris that he was basing it on David Cronenberg's action sequences from like history of violence and Eastern promises. Oh, that's funny. I thought the head smash was so much like the mutilated coffee cup face thing in history of violence. I also felt like that's unnecessarily horror movie-ish for an action movie. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of the kind of the issue with it is that it's kind of like on its own. I like those little moments, but I don't feel like it necessarily serves the the story that much. You know, it's like there there are parts where it's like a fun sequence, but it's not really always appropriate for the story to be fun at that moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like the, like the bowling, the bowling ball sort of chain reaction accident. It, it, did you notice that he, for a while, he's actually not shooting anyone himself. It's sort of like, like oh, that, that was yeah. sort of an accident and the guy shot himself. 
Yeah, I thought that was another like attempt to kind of step back and be like, well, number one, they shoot at him first. You know, Greedo shot first in this yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, it's self-defense more than anything. They kind of had that apology apology going on. But yeah, that is. I did notice that that some guys like accidentally shoot each other, or <laughs> yeah, the bullet. yeah, that's what it was. One guy, sh- yeah, the other guy shoots shoots the his own the guy on his side, and then and then ends up shooting himself when a bowling ball falls on his head. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but like, is, is there? Should there? There shouldn't be comedy in a Death Wish movie. Like, it shouldn't <laughs> that's what be I'm like, saying. Why? Why? His guy who attempted to rape his daughter got hit with a bowling ball like i don't there's some level in which that's more offensive than yeah i think it's the problem with trying to make it both be like the story of death wish the book and the first movie and also sort of be like the sequels which are much more ridiculous especially you know starting with three and he's firing a rocket launcher through the side of his apartment and (laughs) which I really, you know, which I really enjoy, but it's a very different type of movie than the first one. And and it's, they don't really, I guess maybe I would have liked to see more of that, but I'm not sure it would have worked. I almost hope that they make more movies just so I can find out who they cast as Manny Fricker. (laughs) (laughs) Manny Fricker here. Um, Yeah, no, it's, but those movies, but I feel like, there's a weird thing too where I can enjoy Death Wish two or three or 10 to Midnight, which is a movie that's also has really repulsive politics in 2018 with, with some kind of distance. What makes Death Wish three great is that he just like walks around the corner and there's some group of guys trying to like murder an old lady and he shoots <laughs> them, you know? And there's no context. It's just like, oh, there's coming home. Ah, murderers on the street. I'm gonna shit. They're just like crawling in your windows, you know. But <laughs> well, like, well, this one I definitely feel time, like they have that that thing with yeah. like you know he's defending himself or other people are shooting each other. He's not killing. He's not shooting any unarmed people in the back like in the original movie. But 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 I'm saying in in the mid '80s that was offensive reactionary politics. And if I had seen those movies when they came out. I might have been like, man, fuck this worldview, fuck these guys, in a way that if this movie tried to do anything like that, would I say that now? Like, do you, that's a weird thing I feel like when you consume sort of low budget action films and the Golan Globus stuff, that the politics of like Delta Force or Invasion USA are indefensible on a certain level. But because they're old, you don't feel compelled to defend them you can sort of take the enjoyment of the insanity of it. And I feel like this movie doesn't want to be politically indefensible, that it's too conscious about being politically defensible. And is that to its detriment? Like, do you think, Vern, in a movie made in 2018, can you handle, would you want to see something that has the kind of politics of a mid-80s Chuck Norris movie? Would you ever be able to enjoy it? (laughs) Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I don't, I guess maybe the way to answer it is, is to think about the, uh, Olympus has fallen and London, is it London has fallen? The, yes. Uh, I'm going to tentatively um, say that. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, because I agree like when a movie is, is sort of a period piece to us, like, or like a time capsule of a long time ago, it's much easier to, uh, you know, have a laugh at that sort of idea. But when it feels like this is somebody 
involved in our current discussion going on in our civilization of how to how to fix things uh putting this idea across then it can be harder for me to get a kick out of it you know yeah and so, and, I, and so it did bother me that those movies i didn't think were that great anyway but like it, it so it did sort of bother me that it seemed to be promoting this idea of 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 a you know one guy can go in and stab people in the head because he's so awesome and america will be the greatest and you know <laughs> yeah well it's and, more proof that america is the greatest is that he's an american yeah um yeah but also i feel like some of those movies because they're produced by israelis they are less sensitive to what you can't do and what's going to be in poor <laughs> taste, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah. what makes them feel bananas is that like the way they express certain bigotries behind jingoism and certain um, reactionary philosophies imbued in American action archetypes that we all love it's a fascinating thing the shoddier it gets and the sort of more shameless it gets. Um, well, do you think that Eli Roth retreats a little bit into, Vern, I know you're a huge fan of uh, Brawl on Cell Block 99, for example. Um, do you think he's kind of retreating into some of the more gory stuff or the, you know, the unexpected violence or humorous, like over-the-top violence the same way that that movie does to kind of Pull, pull back and have the hero be an anti-hero without having to commit to any like these politics I'm not sure the I'm not sure why he does that other than that's his style really but I I, I I don't know like I said before I feel like that was the most fun part of the movie and then also didn't necessarily seem to gel with the rest of it uh, but I, I feel like maybe in approaching it this way, he made the the morally correct choice, but the artistically wrong choice. Mm. That sums it up for me really well, actually. <laughs> but do you, do you think in 2018 that isn't, is that the right decision? In like the current atmosphere, which somehow feels more fraught to me than like since 2001, you know? This year feels intense, doesn't, don't you feel like making a bad movie he actually did the admirable thing in a funny way <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying like he like maybe if he had made it more straightforwardly on the side of of paul kersey then it might have been a more honest or more consistent movie but it also would have probably upset us all at this moment in time could have one of the uh, one of the things I'm happy for in the film, I was really, really worried. I mean, of course, the um, the, the trap door, you know, furniture ended up coming back and paying off kind of ridiculously. But <laughs> I'm glad there wasn't a Superman 2 moment at the end where he runs into the soccer dad and, you know, punches the sh punches him in the face or something. I was worried that's, that that was going to That's not the back. Superman 2. That's the out for justice. <laughs> that's the what that is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kicks that guy in the balls <laughs> i was worried about yeah, for justice yeah. <laughs> I, I thought for a second you were saying that that did happen and i was like whoa did i miss that that was some <laughs> <laughs> but this movie doesn't have scenes like that that's what's so weird to me about this movie is that the most enjoyable parts were like that that family seems like a nice family that i would have liked to have been friends with 
you know, like I would like to go to a dinner party with old Dr. Kersey and his wife, Elizabeth Shue, you know? <laughs> Did you think that the daughter was going to use her Krav Maga move at the end? Oh my I, God. Um, yeah. That's another, sorry. Oh yeah. She doesn't so, get it. She doesn't get to break in at all. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody okay, it did sort of baseball bat after that at the batting cages. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. That's right. That's like the kickboxer and snakes on a plane who never gets to kickbox anybody. You yeah, know? that was terrible. You don't break out the bats. <laughs> You're totally <laughs> expecting that to happen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it turns out this movie sucks. I've been trying to around it, but uh, I can't recommend this movie in any capacity. Uh, unless you're an Elizabeth Shue completist and you know, you're going to see it anyway, then. It is nice this that she and Eli Roth are both in the Piranha remake together. I oh. just watched making, that. They're making the remake uh, rounds, yeah. those two. <laughs> yeah. God, I feel like him in the Piranha remake, that he's intentionally, that's his public persona, the way he behaves in that movie. And it's just so strange that somebody's like, I'm going to be the douchebag frat boy is going to be like what I am in public. It's so strange. Anyway. He's that way in, in Death Proof too. He's worse in Death Proof. Yeah. And, yeah. and Aftershock. Um, Aftershock. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that. It's, where is it set? It's set somewhere, I want to say in, in, South, in South America. America somewhere, yeah. But it's a horror movie he's in. I, who knows if it was released. John and I saw it at, at the Toronto Film Festival. And it is awful. It's just like trauma grade. But he's one of the three leads. It's like if you wanted to see Eli Roth as your lead in a terrible, is it even a horror movie? It's like a, the gangs are so bad it becomes a horror movie movie. It's like a disaster movie <laughs> slash horror movie. But yeah. We're not going to commit you to saying that you thought the new Death Wish movie sucks. But where <laughs> does it fall on Bruce, Bruce's filmography for you? Above what and below what would you say? Uh, that's a tough one. I, I, I lower spectrum I, or somewhere in the middle. What do you think? Not at the very bottom because there's, there's a lot of the straight to video stuff he's been doing lately. It's just really uninspiring and forgettable. And not that the, I mean, I guess that sort of describes this one, but it's not as bad as as it gets. Is it better or worse than striking distance? <laughs> not, Way I, worse. Not as good as striking distance. <laughs> Way, that is an insulting question. <laughs> striking or distance. Sunset? That's the first one that popped into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I would recommend, this isn't Bruce Willis, but I would really recommend that people check out Death Sentence because I don't think enough people have seen that movie. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, that's and that's another... Out because you had I agree that the chase scene... John, we lost that you. That is amazing. Hold on, John. Stop and resay all that. We lost you. Yeah, I'm still here. Hello? We, we lost you. Resay all that. I didn't say chasing. anything. The thing about chasing. the chasing. Oh, oh. Uh, the chasing, that movie is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the one on the parking structure. Yeah. That goes from yeah, one level to another. And it's another, it's a movie by a horror director that's based on the book Allegedly based on the book that was the sequel to Death Wish, uh, although it really has almost nothing to do with the book. Uh, but Brian Garfield did approve of it because it ends up having a really uh, more ambiguous ending where he is sort of become as bad as the people that he's 
getting revenge on and, you know, but it still has a sense of style and fun like Eli Roth is trying to do, but it's much more thoughtful. Yeah. He he definitely goes down that same path. Uh, In your review, you mentioned how like fucked up he looks after he shaves his head, you know, he definitely goes down that cursy path where it's like, he looks more like a lost soul than, you know, a hero that you're supposed to be rooting for. And I love that ending where he's sitting there on the couch with the guy and he basically looks the same as him. And it's kind of this great visual, uh, you know, telling you the themes of the movie all in this nice shot of them sitting there. Yeah, that's great. I I couldn't agree more. Death Sentence. Guys, if you haven't seen it, check it out. James Wan. It's a good film. And it's good. And and, uh, am I, I'm remembering correct, John Goodman is the villain, right? Did I just make that up? Yeah, he's the okay. I had a brain fart. Yeah, he's the head of the. (laughs) I was about to say, John Goodman's very interesting in it, and I was like, "Wait, am I processing wrong?" Um, Yeah, they they sort of distance it from real life by making the gang more exaggeratedly silly, like tattoo guys, a little more like the Death Wish sequels. Yeah, but I've never read the Brian Garfield book. Is isn't it the plot in that that he goes after like a copycat vigilante or something like that? yeah you know it's been a long time since i read it i made the main thing i remember is that it has way too many conversations where people are discussing uh you know debating what the ethics of of this vigilante that's killing people and 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 just really underlines it way too much what what garfield's trying to say because he was so upset about people not understanding what he was trying to say in the first story yeah. You wanted to make it crystal clear this time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I thought it was really, I did not think that was a good book, but. He, what, what he what needed I still was be... that John Mancow to come in there and lay it on <laughs> all that. But I was going to say, when you mentioned the, uh, the exaggeration of those guys, I always feel like the modern conception of what a criminal looks like, which are like these greasy, Shaggy-haired <laughs> white guys that are into metal music, and it's like I don't know any dudes like that anymore. And like my experience with criminals, whatever it is, they're not like that. You know, it just feels like sort of fanciful in a way that like the mid '80s denim vest guy was, where it's like, you know, and punk, punk rockers, yeah. Punk rock- yeah, exactly. The scullions in Police Academy too, that sort of thing. <laughs> well, I do. we don't want to keep you too long on here. We obviously love talking to you and could talk to you all night. John, did you have any, uh, a few more, any more avenues of discussion you wanted to explore as we head towards wrapping it up? Just a piece of trivia that I just came upon. You know, when Garfield went to see the Bronson movie and was uh, appalled, yeah, he went to see it with his wife and Don Westlake, which I think Whoa, is great. Really? Yeah, because they were good buddies. Huh. I like to think of them sitting there in the theater and Brian Garfield kind of twitching and like moving around <laughs> in his seat, feeling uncomfortable with it what seems he was like saying. the kind of movie that Westlake would hate too. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm curious. Now but I'm just curious. to wrap it up, uh, Vern, any more thoughts on uh, Eli Ross' Death Wish 2018? Uh, yeah i don't know it's it's uh i feel like i was very open-minded toward it and i don't think it's as terrible as i had heard but i also can't really can't really recommend it unless you're like me and have to have an opinion on every death wish related movie amongst the death wishes where do you slot it 
including death sentence. Oh. Well, it's really not. It's better made than than several of the sequels, but it's not as memorable. So, does it beat out Part Five, which kind of doesn't need to be a Paul Kersey movie? Yeah, which is sort of like the Equalizer or some shit. Well, that's why. I mean that that one is more fun just because it has its own weird thing going on instead True. of being a lesser version of something we've already seen before in the, as in this case. You know what I always wish they had done for part five was to convince Jeff Goldblum to come back as the bad guy and he'd be reprising <laughs> his character from the first movie. Only he's like gone straight and he's just like a kind of sleazy bail lawyer now. I'm with you, John. We're going to spit all this. <laughs> he would have been coming off of Jurassic Park, so they probably couldn't have got him. He's probably at the height of his career. No, How about he, just, he should play his character from deep cover. <laughs> yeah. How about he's a senator or something? <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's great. Who's trying uh, to push for gun control? Oh, we get, let's write this movie, guys, right here and now. <laughs> We're sold. I mean, honestly, though, like, our idea is as good as any idea Joe Carnahan has ever had. Um, anyway, thank you so much for doing the show with us and talking about this movie. I hope you had a good time uh, coming on here. Well, like uh, John and I said at the top, he and I are just huge fans of your work. I think I have read literally everything you've ever written. And so it's just been a thrill for us to have you on. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Same here, man. And we're super excited. Can you tell us anything about uh, Warm on the Hook? Is it still too early? Uh, no, it's a, it's a horror novel. And I'm kind of trying to combine my, my idea of the, the ultimate slasher, traditional slasher movie with like a commando or Seagal style action story. I'm trying to exit, you know, take what I love about those two genres and combining them into one story so that everything fits together. And it's, it's, uh, I'm very close to being done. I'm just kind of taking forever on polishing it up, but I'm hoping it'll be ready soon. That's very a great exciting. sell. I'm, I'm definitely in. Uh, everybody go to uh, outlawvern.com, read this man's reviews, uh, sign up for his Patreon. You have a Patreon campaign, correct? Yes, I do. Thank you. Yes, please uh, support him. Uh, keep him going for as long as possible. Uh, Vern, thank you so much. It's been a huge honor to have you on. Thank you. Thank you to everybody. Have a great time. <laughs> great time watching the <laughs> That's the, that's the sign off right there. That's my signature sign off. Everybody have a great time. Okay. <laughs>